When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When you have such a slim majority, it means that there's going to be compromises. One way to draw more people into the workforce and to draw them in productively is to pay them a higher wage. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Inflation is running much higher than the Fed projected. There is a monitoring system that many big corporations are really contemplating as to sort of how do we keep the employees that are inside healthy. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where COVID is dominating the conversation once again, even on the eve here of an important vote on infrastructure, following news of breakthrough cases on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. We're going to talk about it next with Bloomberg White House correspondent Jordan Fabian, and we'll hear from Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, about this and rising tensions with China, which she calls now part of the new axis of evil. Later, we'll talk with Bloomberg political contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. We leave this Tuesday, this Tuesday edition of Bloomberg Sound On with new worries about COVID. After it was revealed that a White House official and a senior spokesperson for Speaker Nancy Pelosi have tested positive for the virus, even though both had been fully vaccinated. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki did not name the administration official because, as she explained, this person was not high enough ranking. I think there's hundreds, thousands of people who work in the federal government, as you all know, and we had committed during the transition that if it was a commissioned officer, uh, which who are the highest level ranking people in the White House and in the admin, uh, in this uh, building here, that we would make that information publicly available. We stand by that commitment. And she says that person, by the way, had no contact with the president. And we're joined in our Washington studio today by Bloomberg White House correspondent Jordan Fabian. Welcome, Jordan. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Joe. So Jen Psaki made clear this was not the first breakthrough case we've seen at the White House. To be clear, though, as well, the testing regimen, and you've gone through this, having sat through many briefings and, and been in the White House pool and been in close proximity to the president, the testing regimen on campus has been quite strict. That's right. If any reporter who wants to be in the pool, which is the very small group of reporters that's hanging around the president all yeah. day, has to be tested after they get in the building. Even if you're vaccinated. Before, even if you're vaccinated, before you get in the, into the building, I should say. Jen Psaki said that White House staff are generally tested at least once or twice a week, depending on how often they're seeing the president. And the president himself is being tested once every other week or so. That being said, we're seeing this anecdotal evidence that the vaccines might not have a strong protection against this Delta variant, as may have thought originally. You wonder where this is going here, if it's going to lead to any new policy 
at the White House. Saki today said that wouldn't be happening yet, right? If you're vaccinated, you do not need to wear a mask if you're in the mansion. That's right. Jen Psaki made it clear that the White House isn't going to change its own safety measures, nor are they going to recommend new mask guidance or social distancing guidelines for the broader public. But the White House is still re-upping its demand or its, its, its request that more Americans get vaccinated because you know, I think a lot of people will think, well, these people were vaccinated. They got the virus. Why should I get vaccinated? But the studies still show that it's very effective at preventing hospitalizations and deaths. And that's something the White House wants to avoid desperately. So they're again, they're really using this opportunity to encourage more and more people to get vaccinated. It's pretty interesting to hear her say that there have been others. We actually don't know how many breakthrough cases there have been at the White House. Is that right? That's right. She she admitted today that there have been several breakthrough cases in addition to this one that was disclosed today. So why does it matter what rank it is? That Does that indicate their proximity to the president if you're not an, an officer of the White House? Usually, yes. Yeah, th- Those commissioned officers are the most senior administration officials, and those tend to be the people who are around the president the most. And, and so I, I think that's their calculation they've made that they don't want to disclose, let's say, a junior staffer who might be 23 and not – really around the president. Uh, They don't want to necessarily give their name uh, publicly when they test positive. As we spend time with Jordan Fabian, part of Bloomberg's White House team, I spoke today with Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee. Jordan, about a number of issues, including this one, her thoughts on COVID and specifically vaccines. With the vaccination rate in Tennessee below 40 percent and we're seeing the increase in hospitalizations, I know you're not a fan of some of the White House strategies, for instance, door-to-door surge teams. What should we do to increase that rate then? People should be talking to their physician. And I do not think we should be in a position of mandating a vaccine. I've been vaccinated. Most of my family members have been vaccinated, but here is the thing. You want to make it their choice, and you want people to talk to their physician. I do believe that one of the things that has hurt this process is you had the current president and vice president really speaking out against the vaccine and against the utilization of the vaccine when President Trump was in office, and now they're doing a flip. It would be helpful if they were to say, you know what, we were wrong. We ought not to have done that. I'm not familiar with that. What did they say against the vaccine? Uh, Well, you had the current vice president say she wouldn't take it if it was a vaccine that had come from Trump. And I see what you're saying. Yes. That was about the whole branding issue. That's but, correct. But do you want to see that rate go up in Tennessee? We would love to see the rate go up for those that a physician says they should take that vaccine. So but- that is interesting to me. This is Senator Blackburn again from Tennessee. Jordan, have the talking points changed from Sean Hannity last night on Fox? Blackburn today, as you just heard here speaking to Bloomberg and many others, are, are, are instead of questioning the efficacy or the mandate or whatever they're saying go see your doctor sit down with someone you trust make the decision it seems there's a slight shift there as this delta variant has crept up and become the dominant variant here in the united states i'll also point out that steve scalise a number two house republican who previously had not been vaccinated actually got vaccinated. He got his first shot over the weekend. There was an article in the New Orleans newspaper. He's from Louisiana. Yeah. And you know he had his photo of him getting vaccinated 
in the paper and you know, a lot of people, a lot of public health experts, they believe that you know, it's going to take people that you trust to convince you to get vaccinated. And so somebody like that on the Republican side doing that, uh, you know, might help. I will point out that one person we haven't seen get vaccinated in public on that side of the aisle is Donald Trump. He decided uh, not uh, to do that. And, the and, and there's a lot of questions about whether that would have improved the image of the vaccines on that side of the aisle if he had done so. I spoke with Senator Blackburn as well about the China cyber hacking allegations. We didn't hear any update from the White House on that today, right? Yeah, no new developments there from uh, from today, although we do know the president was briefed on it this morning. So there's more to follow. Let's hear from Senator Blackburn on this. She's not mincing words on China. I asked her what the appropriate response to this should be. First of all, we need a precedent that is going to be tough on what I call the new axis of evil, which is China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. And what we see more often than not is that they have a tendency to work together and they do not wish us well. These are four countries that are our enemies. Second, you need to make certain that we do not go back into a new Iran nuclear deal because that sends a message that we're going to lessen sanctions and we're not going to be tough on bad actors. Third, we need to realize that China is intent on global domination by the time we get to the middle point of this century. It is all part of their 100-year marathon. Are we in a Cold War with China now? We are in a position with China where we have to admit that they are an enemy. They are not a friend. We are pushing against them with great power competition. We look at what they're doing with building out a blue water navy and trying to use their Belt and Road Initiative to establish ports around the globe and then, as they've done in Djibouti, turn those ports into a military post. And because of this, we need to be very aggressive in how we bolster our cyber protections, how we focus on cybersecurity, how we look at the maintenance and buildup of our armed forces, whether it's our Navy, whether it's our Air Force, or new to the table, our Space Force. Is this why then you're calling on the Olympic Committee to essentially boycott what appears to be a state cryptocurrency coming from not the Olympics now, but in two years from now. Yes, exactly. This is the digital yuan. And what China is doing is trying to incentivize people with free money if you will download the app that allows the digital yuan and use this. We know that there are 21 million people that have already downloaded this and have 71 million transactions on it. Here's the bad thing. China will embed spyware into their hardware and their software. Once they have embedded that spyware and they are into your system, they're going to be in that system from now on. So this is about data protection. Yes, it is about not, not protecting cryptocurrency us. domination. That's correct. This is about protecting our athletes, our journalists, our attendees that go to China. And look at what happened with WeChat. And President Trump ended up blocking them. Of course, uh, President Biden revoked that and freed them up. But we know that with Huawei, China is trying to build out a spy network where they build a virtual you once they get into your network. Then they feel like they own you. So what we're saying to our athletes, our journalists, those that attend, 
you need to not participate in this digital yuan. Now, what China wants to do is roll it out through the Olympics, say that it is a great cross-border currency, get other people pegging to the yuan instead of pegging to the dollar. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, speaking with me today on Capitol Hill. And we'll be hearing a bit more from her later on infrastructure. Senator Blackburn telling Bloomberg today that she thinks infrastructure is dead. Of course, we've got a big vote on that set for tomorrow. We'll be talking more about that later on with the panel. Coming up, America stopped for a moment this morning to watch Jeff Bezos launch into space. And Bloomberg was the first to speak with Bezos after he touched down. Earth's atmosphere, it's so big, we live in it, and it seems gigantic, but when you get up there, you see that it's actually this teensy little thing that we need to protect. Uh, so, I don't know, for me, it was definitely incredible. That's next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for spending part of your Tuesday with us. What did you do this morning? Our eyes were glued to the screen here in the Washington Bureau right around 9 Eastern. 5, 4, command engine start. 2, 1. There they go. Sound from Van Horn, Texas, where Jeff Bezos was shot into space, along with his now famous crew. On our way to space with our first human crew. Go, Jeff, go, Mark, go, Wally, go, Oliver. You are going to space. And they did. After Bezos and company landed safely in West Texas, he spoke first with Bloomberg's Emily Chang. Welcome back to Earth. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel really good. Oh my Thank goodness! Really good. Wow. Good, Mark. I mean, wow. Yeah. This is your first interview since landing. Yes. We all want to know the reality of seeing the Earth from above. Did it live up to <laughs> the dream? Uh, beyond, I, honestly, I'm not talented enough to describe this in words. I can't figure it out. It was much more than I expected. It's awe-inspiring. It's just, I don't know. Do you have words? I, I don't have words. It, it was, it was truly, it was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. So now that you're here, now that you've accomplished this, what's Blue's next move? How does this fit into the long-term vision? 
Well, the long-term vision, we're building an orbital vehicle called New Glenn. And this vehicle we just flew, New Shepard, is our suborbital tourism vehicle. So we're going to fly that over and over and over. And every time we fly it, it's practice for the orbital mission. And it gives people a chance to see what we just saw, which is this fragile, beautiful Earth that you can't imagine. People can tell you about it, but until you see it with your own eyes, I don't know, maybe we need to send a poet up or something, <laughs> somebody who would be better at describing it. What I can tell you is that it's, uh, it's just this thing that you can't tell. You can see that it's just one place. There's no boundaries, no national lines, nothing. The, the atmosphere, we see this thing, it's Earth's atmosphere. It's so big, we live in it, and it seems gigantic. But when you get up there, you see that it's actually this teensy little thing that we need to protect. Uh, so, I don't know, for me, it was definitely incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. I was surprised at how easy it was to move around in zero-G. That was the, probably the most surprising thing. Yeah, it felt almost normal. It felt, it very felt like, you know, it felt like we were somehow evolved to be in zero-G. It felt so good. Yeah. So, so for the people here on Earth who are wondering, why are we investing all this money in space, this time in space, talk to us about how you believe this will actually help benefit us here on Earth. Yeah, well, this is what we're doing is we're building infrastructure. This is a road. We're building a road to space so that future generations can build the future. We live on this beautiful planet. It's the most beautiful planet in the solar system by far. And we have to keep it safe and protect it. And the way to do that is slowly over decades to move all heavy industry, all polluting industry out into space. That's what we're going to do so we can keep this planet the gym that it is. But to do that, we need reusable spacecraft. We need low-cost spacecraft. And to get that, we've got to practice. Got to start and that's here. what this tourism mission is about. We saw your kids greet you on the ground. Yeah. I have four kids. For the kids watching, what, how do you want this to inspire them? Well, they're going to, you know, kids are, they are all, if every kid has so much potential inside of them. And what I hope that what we're doing a little bit and is un is unlocking that so for kids everywhere if you the way you unlock potential is with inspiration i was inspired as a little boy by the apollo astronauts and you know this is a next phase of commercial space development and i hope that inspires little kids too jeff bezos and his brother mark talking with bloomberg's emily chang and we're joined now by bloomberg's ed ludlow who is part of our team covering the launch today and ed welcome i know you've been asked many times to somehow frame the significance of this as we reach for some higher meaning. But maybe you can compare this achievement with Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic. Does Blue Origin have much bigger plans? We just heard Bezos talk about the next rocket, New Glenn. Yeah, this has long been the goal of Blue Origin, to send human beings into suborbital space for a few minutes and pay fee-paying customers at that. But it is the tip of the iceberg of their ambition because... You know, over the years, Blue Origin has fallen behind SpaceX in particular and other legacy aerospace players in vying for commercial contracts from NASA, from, you know, private sector customers, from the Pentagon. Um, and, and so you have to frame it in that context. Yes, they've done it. You know, they've done what they set out to do. They want to continue to and, and increase the frequency that they're sending people into space, fee-paying customers. But there are much bigger fish to fry for them. So this will be, if I'm understanding you right, not only bringing tourists to space, but also working potentially as a government contractor, a la SpaceX, helping NASA do its job? Yeah, I mean, so far, Blue Origin, with its New Shepard rocket, has actually carried some commercial payload. Think, you know, scientific experiments, sensors, yeah. small sats, things like that. But 
you know, it just doesn't it's not anywhere near the level that SpaceX is. SpaceX is is pulling in billions of do- dollars of revenue just from servicing the International Space Station, right? It has big commercial contracts to take satellites and put them into orbit. Um, Elon Musk is already moving on to the next generation of his rocket with Starship. And the Blue Origin plan is very much the same. New Shepard was the first generation of their technology. Today, Bezos was talking about how actually the, the New Shepard booster, the one you saw on your screens go into space today, is completely overkill for what's required to get people into suborbital space. But it helps them, as as Jeff said in that interview of Emily, prove the technology, gather data. So when they move to the next generation of rocket, New Glenn, which is a much larger, much more powerful rocket, yeah. they'll be, you know, off to, to a quicker start. And and to be frank, they are very behind schedule. You know, they've really over-promised and under-delivered, which is a pretty classic thing in the space industry. <laughs> I guess that... That's true. They've joined the club officially here. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow, thanks a lot for your coverage today. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On. There are new signs of relief in the computer chip shortage, as we were mentioning. Imagine a world in which you can buy the car of your choice right off the lot. You pick the color. No wait list. Maybe a washer, maybe a fridge. They've all been in short supply because of the lack of semiconductors. Computer chips, as Charlie was just saying, the SOX index, they've been going up some of them on the shortage. And that's why President Biden signed an executive order to try to loosen this up, reinvigorate supply chains. As he assigned the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, to work this out. Remember that old proverb, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. And it goes on and on until the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Even small failures at one point in the supply chain can cause outside impacts further up the chain. That's the president just a couple of weeks ago as he signed that executive order. And we're joined now by Andrew Rosso, attorney and CEO at AR Media Consulting, a supply chain expert. Andrew, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I guess I'll go back to my first question. Does this mean that we can actually buy a car soon, you know, as opposed to the lemon yellow one that nobody wants. Uh, the Commerce Secretary, as we're reporting on the terminal, has brokered a series of meetings between chip manufacturers, their suppliers, and their customers, which include automakers. Will this be done soon? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And that's, that's the idea here is to make things move much faster than they have been. This is certainly good news, and I think that's exactly where this is headed. Cars are one thing, of course, and I'd like to hear from you on that when when we have uh, Tim Farley, uh, Jim Farley, rather, and Mary Barra, Ford and GM, respectively, saying they are actually getting a bit more of what they need. What does that mean for somebody shopping for a car? What does that mean for these companies? And how about all the other products that aren't cars here that are affected? Sure. When it comes to the manufacturers, the auto companies, and then the semiconductor manufacturers, we're talking about transparency and trust here because these two parties usually do not see eye to eye on these issues. From a customer standpoint, it's we want our car, we want it quick, and hopefully we'll be able to get it much sooner than we would right now waiting for cars that are not available on the lot. So it's really a a two-sided argument here that we're looking How about the GEs, the Maytags of the world? What about the appliances that also need chips? Andrew, did we lose you? I guess we did. See if we can get him back. 
As Gina Romando says, we are starting to see some improvements, adding that in recent weeks, the aforementioned Farley and Barra are seeing conditions, quote, get a little better. Goldman Sachs analysis published last month said the peak impact of the chip shortage was in the second quarter. Auto production, they say, should jump in July. Here we are. But of course, automakers are still dealing with the weight of this as the shortage is estimated to be taking a $110 billion toll on the industry. But of course, there's a lot more involved here than just cars, as we are discussing with Andrew. We'll pull in Bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis as we wait for Andrew to rejoin us, because this is something that obviously is a major political issue and one that's already led to some policy changes. Jeannie, I remember talking with you uh, when President Biden signed the executive order and trying to resolve the shortage of semiconductors to try to get the ball rolling, not just on chips, but on shortages of all products that are sending prices higher. Do you believe this could be done soon? It certainly should be done soon. And and good afternoon, Joe. It certainly should be done soon. And I, I know you're waiting for Andrew to come on, but it is something that is a priority for this administration. And they have to take it very seriously because the hit to the economy is enormous. It's a hang on the economy, isn't it, Rick? Yeah, it's a hang on the economy. Certain sectors, yeah, some particularly hard hit by the COVID economic uh, slowdown uh, uh, continued to come out slowly. Uh, automotive industry, appliances, uh, things where these chips have uh, created a whole supply chain uh, havoc. And so, uh, you know, I think it shows, though, um, uh, the planning of the legislation and the funds that are now available to Secretary Raimondo, over $50 billion worth of uh, 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 support in that industry, uh, was not a bad idea at the time. Bring Andrew back just for another quick question. We've reconnected with Andrew Rosso from AR Media Consulting. Uh, this had better be true, right, Andrew? If, if the point here is to start making foundries, the, the chip plants here in this country, it would take many more years to get that done. Absolutely. And that that's the biggest thing right now is we're seeing big tech start to, to move its locations and shops to places like Austin, Texas, to try and keep things close as possible here in the U.S. to address those concerns. So this this is as important as ever here. And, you know, this is this is wonderful that we are starting to see these types of agreements from President Biden and, and his cabinet. Are these all uh, foreign chip makers? These are all based in, in Asia, Andrew, or are there American chip makers? Intel's been talking about starting to take some of its own manufacturing, and I think Micron was doing some of the same. You're correct. Uh, a lot of it is out in, in Asia and, and Vietnam and Taiwan. Yeah. And because of that, you still have to look at the different types of relationships and so many different hands and parties that are involved. So the ability to bring it, bring these opportunities in-house, so to speak, or into the U.S. will t- hopefully try and speed the process up for automakers, for uh, supply logistics leaders like Walmart and, and Tesla, and that's the idea here. So the ability to bring things in-house is definitely, I think, a concern. And a problem. We appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for getting back on the phone with us, Andrew Rosso from AR Media Consulting. I'm Joe Matthew. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for meeting us at the precipice, the eve of a major vote in the Senate that some think will mark the end of the bipartisan deal for infrastructure that's been on the works now for weeks. Still nothing written. I'm Joe Matthew, and I'm joined by Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. One of those suggesting the deal is dead is Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, who I spoke with today on Capitol Hill. Asked her if she would vote for cloture to begin debate on this. Proceed when the vote hits tomorrow. (laughs) No, I'm not going to vote to move anything forward when you do not even have a bill. This is what is so interesting, is Chuck Schumer has decided he's going to vote for it anyway. Even though there is no content to the bill, he wants to vote on the title of the bill. So he can say Republicans voted against infrastructure. And Blackburn went on to tell me that she would read whatever bill was written when I asked her if one is written, but also said she believes the bipartisan attempt to get this done is over, that tomorrow will mark the end of this. Rick Davis, she's framing this essentially as a trick that Chuck Schumer is pulling on Republicans to kind of embarrass them, say they didn't vote for infrastructure, Republicans are obviously not going to play along with it. What's Chuck Schumer trying to do here, and and how do Republicans avoid looking like they're voting against fixing roads, bridges, and tunnels? Yeah, uh, the Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is doing the same thing that uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell did when he was Majority Leader. It's a tactic that uh, avoids their having to crack open a big debate on issues that might divide the caucuses, both Democrat and Republican, because remember, Democrats are also not seeing this bill, and and they have issues with people like uh, Senator Sanders and Senator Markey. But I remember during the uh, health care wars when uh, Mitch McConnell wanted to, to pass a bill repealing uh, many of the health care measures in the Barack Obama's plan. Um, we didn't see that bill uh, until only moments before midnight <laughs> before he expected a vote. So this idea that people are, are um, uh, complaining is it, it's fair to complain, right? They should be able to see the bill and read it before they have to vote on it. Yeah. But it's also a well-worn tactic by leaders uh, to avoid con- uh, uh, conflict and, uh, and, and, and jam, jam a vote. Remember, this is just a closure vote. It means you get to actually start the clock yes. on on doing this and that adds pressure to the conferees in this case both republicans and democrats are writing the bill so i think these are all tactics we're watching in the public eye but uh, far from it being uh determinant yeah rick as i said has seen this movie before genie i am curious though about any potential fallout for republicans who are planning to vote no on this tomorrow you can make a lot of good campaign ads talking about republicans saying no to safer bridges and roads there's an awful lot of risk on both sides. And and I thought your interview with Marsha Blackburn was really important because you had her firmly saying, no, she won't vote for it. And that's exactly what these senators and the leadership are doing right now. They're counting these votes. They need to get by t- to 10. And not only Blackburn, we heard Mitt Romney, who's been in these negotiations, saying he would vote against beginning debate, but he gave Chuck Schumer an out. He said, move the vote to Monday. And many people are suggesting on Capitol Hill that they just need that time. If they can get to the weekend, they will be able to put something together. So I think there's an out there. I think we still may see Chuck Schumer move the vote to Monday. But to your earlier point, there is a lot of risk on both sides. Democrats can paint 
Republicans as not wanting to give people what they need, roads, bridges, tunnels, you know, old broadband, all of these things. And Republicans can also make a case that you want us to vote for something. You don't know what's in it. You haven't written it and you don't have any pay for us. You think he delays the vote, Rick? We're doing this tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I think if the uh, Republicans in the uh, bipartisan group, remember, they've got 11 votes and they only need 10 Republicans to pass this to the next stage. Um, uh, if they say to him, look, we need more time and, and we're not going to vote for cloture, then then he's going to move it because he, it's too hard to get to this point yeah. to not be Didn't flexible. did Rob Portman already say that, though? Uh, Murkowski, Portman, Collins, and Romney all so told him that. So we got a problem, yeah. Right. Well, I think that's what he's probably thinking through right now is, uh, <laughs> what, do I make them happy or do I continue to press? It's it's all a pressure game. And, and so it's exciting to see because it mounts the tension. And I think you need tension to get anybody to do anything on Capitol Hill. Well, I know the majority leader is a big fan of this program and this network, and we invite him to call in any time to let us know how those conversations are going. I want to ask you both about Tom Barrick today. Colony Capital, former top fundraiser for Donald Trump, is arrested today. Charged with illegally lobbying for the UAE. It just so happens he sat down for an interview with Bloomberg talking about this some time ago, talking about his role in the Trump administration and how he looks back on that being a part of his life. From my simple beginnings of where I came to have the gift and the opportunity to be next to a president of the United States, to have the honor of running an inauguration, to be up close and personal on some issues um, that affect world order. I paid a personal price for it, right? The, the, The adversarialness of America in squaring off on both sides is something I still don't understand. As I read on the terminal, alleged to have advancing the interests of another country, the UAE, here in the U.S. at the direction of senior UAE officials, alleged to have done so by influencing the foreign policy positions of the 2016 Trump campaign and then those of the new administration. The indictment also charges Barrick with obstruction of justice and making multiple false statements. During, during a 2019 interview with federal law enforcement agents, Rick Davis, uh, another brick in the wall here as we look back on the Trump administration. Yeah, I think this is a, a good demonstration of the Justice Department's resolve on this issue, right? They have gone after a number of people in the last four years uh, during the Trump administration, former National Security Advisor Paul Manafort, uh, Tom Barrick now. Uh, on these charges of um, uh, FARA, which is the rules governing uh, representing foreign governments in the United States. And in, in, I would say prior to that, there was some question as to whether the government was really serious about taking on these prosecutions. And I think this today rests the case. Uh, very strong indictment. Um, and, and it also tells you another story, which is you know, don't ever lie to the FBI. I mean, huh. it's like, yeah, I know that's sort of obvious, but uh, here you got a really smart guy, Tom Barrick, who's got himself into a heck of a fix because, uh, you know, he, he thought he was smarter than the FBI. Well, bad day for Barrick, Jeannie, but prosecutors were clear as they cast Donald Trump as a victim of the alleged scheme, not the mastermind. 
That's right. And and it is a really chilling indictment when you look at the idea that he was provided by the UAE of talking points for TV appearances, that he inserted language in candidate Trump's speeches praising the UAE, that he had a phone that was a direct line, really overwhelming evidence that he was lobbying on behalf of an, the U.S. government on behalf of another government. And of course, it's clear he failed to register. And you couple that with the obstruction and the false statements, he's facing an awful lot of time in jail. And while they've cast Trump as the victim, let's not forget, at his age, facing the amount of years he is facing, there is a question as to whether he decides to spill some secrets, whether he decides to cooperate with the feds, and that can turn around on Trump and his allies. So I think there's a lot coming down the pike on this. Well, does it depend, Rick, if Donald Trump runs again? Uh, I mean, that that's where this would come to fruition, correct? Well, it's its certainly bad optics. I mean, Donald yeah. Trump uh, main campaign theme in, in 2016 was to drain the swamp and yeah. the swamp just keeps getting filled up. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to have the tools that he had four years ago or five years ago when he was a candidate Trump to do it again. But uh, sure. I mean, this this affects all those kinds of calculations. As Jeannie points out, who knows where this will lead? And um, but we know that uh, certainly Donald Trump is is even though the played the victim in this indictment, uh, it raises his name in an in a area that I'm sure he'd be very happy to avoid. Did you guys see who else came in the swamp today? A little visit here in the swamp, a former patriot. I guess he's now a, what, a buccaneer. Don't ask me about that. But Tom Brady was at the White House. We got on a roll. Not a lot of people, uh, you know, think that we could have won. And um in fact, I think about 40% of the people still don't think we won. I understand that. You understand that, Mr. President? I understand that. Joe Biden yeah. liked this lot. And personally, you know, it's nice for me to be back here. We had a game in Chicago where I forgot what down it was. I lost track of one down in 21 years of playing. And they started calling me Sleepy Tom. <laughs> why would they do that to me? can't imagine why, Rick and Jeannie, but I have to ask you, if we're actually laughing about this now with Mr. America, are we beyond the big lie, Jeannie? I don't think we're quite beyond it yet, as we just saw Kevin McCarthy name some people to the, the select committee. But And I, like you, Joe, I spent some time in Massachusetts. I raised two, <laughs> two, two sons who were Patriots fans, so I can't, I can't speak nicely about Tom Brady now that he has left. <laughs> but um, I thought Tom Brady was very funny today. I thought the president took it very well and gave him a lot back in return. So I thought it was a great exchange. But no, I don't think we're quite over the big lie yet. Well, of course, we're really not here. Uh, but Rick, quickly, I'd love to hear from you on this in our remaining 30 seconds. That kind of mainstream commentary does impact popular opinion. That's right. I mean, here's a guy who's the GOAT, right? I mean, it's got to really hurt, Joe, to see him yeah, up there celebrating that Super Bowl in Tampa. But uh, I think making light of this is exactly the right way to start dealing with it and, uh, and, and move on beyond the big lie. You guys have no mercy. With apologies to the New England Patriots. I'm Joe Matthew. I'll meet you back here tomorrow on Bloomberg Sound Off. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.